We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, Eric. Hello, Eric. Hi. It's me. How are you, finally? Is this Giancarlo? Yes, sir. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. And yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, thank you for joining the show. It's my uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce three-time championship broadcaster Eric Reed to uh, FIU Student Radio. Um, Eric, I want to get right into it. What's going on with the Heat, man? Well, they've been struggling, uh, certainly in the month of March, and over their last 50, you know, over their last nine games, they've lost six of them. But more than that, I, I think what, what's starting to hurt the Heat is just a real lack of consistency, on the, uh, especially on the defensive end. Uh, I mean, you know, the numbers at this point of the season, I think, uh, you know, are a little bit telling. And, and the story that it's telling is that the Heat has gone from one of the best defensive teams in the NBA to, to a, a mediocre middle-of-the-road defensive team. They're 18th in the league in the field goal percentage they allow, which is probably the truest indicator of how effective or not that your defense is. And, you know, you know, in losing six of the last nine games, you don't need to be a scientist to figure it out. It, you know, in the last nine games, they've allowed 101 points per game. In the last six losses, they're giving up 103 points on 48% shooting. They just allowed two, you know, you know, less than average teams, Cleveland and Boston, to both shoot over 50%. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a recipe for trouble for Miami. And uh, it, it takes a lot of effort uh, to play defense the way the Heat play it when they're playing it at their best. And right now that effort just is, has not been consistent enough. And, you know, they're already a weak rebounding team. If you're going to add a struggling defense to that, I, I think that's sort of adding up to six losses in the last nine games. Well, Eric, and the odd thing is about the defense is the Heat have gone bigger this season, away with a lot of the small ball, and they're playing Chris Anderson and Chris Bosh. Greg Oden is starting. Greg Oden is getting minutes. So they're going bigger, and the defense is suffering, which is odd to me. Well, it's it's, it's not the size. It's, you know, the, the size, I think, has helped Miami. I, I think uh, having Chris Anderson and Chris Bosh in the lineup together and uh, 
uh, Odin and Bosch. I, I think those are effective duos. Uh, you know, the Odin thing I like because it's Spolster did it to, to guarantee Odin minutes. It, it was hard to sort of fit him in sometimes in the second quarter. And then very frequently, Spo would have a hard time going back to Odin in the second half. So this guarantees Odin, you know, his 14 to 15 minutes a game, I think. I think that's what Spo has in mind, you know, six or seven minutes to start the game, six or seven minutes in the third quarter. And uh, I, I potentially like that a lot I, in terms of uh, it gets Odin in on uh, second nights of a back-to-back. When Odin won't play, it injects Udonis Haslam back into the lineup. I think that has already been a thing and, and can continue to be. But, you know, the defensive issues, you know, go way, way back. You know, it's not, they've been they've been nagging at the heat all season long, the defensive issues. And I think the defense is, in a way, is getting, you know, instead of progressively better, it's sort of drifting farther and farther away from where it needs to be. And I, I think that really is the focus for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't think it's, for me, it's no longer about catching Indiana for the top seed. It, it's getting back to the basic way the Heat have won the last two championships. And, and that all starts with great defense. And, and you know, Spol- Coach Spolster has said it, you know, repeatedly this year. And I love the quote. It basically is, we know what championship defense looks like. And, and you know, we're not seeing that right now. So that's got to change if the Heat hope to repeat. Eric, how much of the defense is the Heat aren't trapping on the pick and rolls anymore? They're, they're kind of shading the ball handler, which in turn, you're not creating the turnovers that you used to create. Because when you get a turnover from a guard at the top of the key – you know, you're, it's a straight shot to the basket, and and that has spearheaded their offense for so many years. How much of this defensive struggle is they're just changing the way they're defending the pick and roll? Uh, I don't think they have changed it. They might not be doing it as effectively, but they haven't made any schematic changes in the way they're defending pick and roll. Um, you know, what, what the Heat do is very, you know, different from what most teams do. They have so much out of their bigs in, in pick and roll defense, and and so and that's what makes Chris Bosh, you know, such an extraordinary versatile defender. He's able to hedge out on a pick and roll and guard a perimeter and then quickly rotate back to his guy. But what usually happens defensively, I think not just with the Heat, but with any team, if you get beat at one spot uh, against a good team, it might lead you to get beat two or three passes down the road if your rotation is not as good as, as your opponent's passing. And, and, and that's why it takes multiple efforts to succeed defensively. And I think another thing that's hurt Miami this season defensively, I think it's really been fatiguing because they're not a good rebounding team. Uh, they give up so many offensive rebounds uh, and get hurt with second chance points. And even if you're not getting hurt by the second chance points, I think it's deflating and fatiguing when you've just defended for 18 to 24 seconds and then you got to do it again and maybe even again on the same possession. So, you know, more consistent defensive play, ending defensive possessions with rebounds. And I, I think if you want to talk offense, you know, Miami certainly is at its best. They're, they're still forcing the second most turnovers in the league and scoring a lot of points off turnovers. But when Miami is forced to play half court, and you got to play a lot more half court in the playoffs, um, you know, there is a tendency. You know, we know the Heat's at their best when the ball is moving and, and players are cutting off the ball and, uh, and everybody's involved. That's Miami at their best. When you see Dwayne and LeBron sort of lapse back into isolation, one-on-one basketball, uh, to me, it reminds me of the first year that they played together. Uh, you know, it was, it was still very effective, but Miami lost in the finals that year to Dallas. I, I think the further away Miami can get from that and stick to, you know, points in transition and, and win in half court, continue to move the ball and, and move your bodies, that, 
you know, that's going to bode well for Miami if they can do that more often than not. Something that I find interesting about this team is that they're still leading the league in offensive efficiency, yet their three-point shooting has suffered all year. And I know we have to attribute a lot of that to Dwayne, LeBron, and Chris are one, two, and three in field goal percentage at the rim. But the three-point shooters have struggled. Ray Allen has come on as of late. What do you think is going to happen moving into the postseason? directly, you know, related to, to ball movement. You know, Miami, uh, you know, I think you probably agree with this. If you think of when Miami is an effective three-point shooting team, it's off ball movement. It's off penetration and, and bringing defense in. That's what this team was built, built for. for. You've got two of the best basket penetrators in the league in, in, in LeBron and Dwayne. Uh, Mario Chalmers has proven to be effective getting by his man and, and creating for others. He's got 20 assists in the last two games. So, when you're getting your threes of ball movement, you're in rhythm, and those are the threes that go in. Uh, when threes come off isolation play and end of shot clock situations, I think you're going to tend to see the three-point shooting go down. So, that, in my opinion, that's why Miami's three-point shooting has diminished a little bit because the ball has not moved quite as well. It, it, it's definitely sticking, and but but again, guys like Battier have been missing open shots. And do you think that's a product of age? And he, it, it's it's getting difficult to do it night in and night out for guys like Battier and, and Allen. Well, I, I think Ray Allen is still having a tremendous year. I mean, you know, it, it's funny while, while the team is struggling uh, in March. You know, he's having his best month. He's averaging twelve points a game on fifty percent shooting. He's got twenty four of his ninety four triples this month. In the last four games, he's, he's at 19 points a game on, on 55%. So you can point the finger in a lot of places. Uh, at Ray Allen, uh, that would not be accurate. I, I think Ray still moves so well without the ball. He, he does more of the triple than I think most people envision that he could, especially at this age. Uh, with Shane, you know, he's not in there for offense. I mean, I think if Shane Battier could make even just one shot a game, it's, it's very, very helpful. If he makes more than one, um, you know, it's, it, it's a it's a real bonus. And, and I like the move of, of bringing Shane off the bench now. And Spolstra feels that, that Shane is going to be very helpful to the second unit. He's still a, a very useful player, you know, to help you win because of all the, the intangible things that he does. He, he's just a winner. Yeah, it is important for, for Ray to make shots. And, and again, as I said for Shane, just, just give us one three game and that, that would probably suffice. But I, I do think uh, he'll be... Uh, Hey, Eric, Oscar here. Uh, you had mentioned Greg Oden and, uh, how Eric, uh, how, how Spo is giving him his designated minutes now. But we're probably gonna need him more, uh, in that, well, hopefully in the Pacers series than just 15, 20 minutes a game. Do you think that's gonna be a problem? I don't think we're gonna see him for more than 15 minutes or, or so a game. And, and remember, you, you, you have Chris Anderson as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think, they're never going to do anything beyond the that exceeds, you know, what what they feel Odin is capable of giving. And you know, I think people are you know starting to sort of get hypercritical of Greg. You know, is he this? Is he that? What, what I've seen recently, and he he's not the player that he was, you know, maybe five or six years ago at Ohio State. But I see you know sort of a day by day, brick by brick rebuilding of Greg Odin's game. I, I see a seven footer good footwork, has very good skills, he can score with either hand, I think his rhythm and his timing is still not there offensively, but I, I, I just see a presence defensively, uh, you know, a seven-foot guy that, that no 
will be effective in the playoffs. I really do, especially against Hibbert. Uh, and it gives Bosch the ability to now go play David West instead of uh, Shane Battier being in a, in a size disadvantage mismatch. So I think Odin it will play a role. That was sort of the master plan the whole way, um, you know, from the from the signing of Greg Odin until now. And, and I think really, as, as you look at this, I think one of the best things that I could say about this season is the way Miami has managed its personnel, um, especially Dwayne Wade and Greg Odin. You know, Wade has missed 17 games, but the Heat have done two things. Two things have happened. One, Miami has figured out a way to win without him. They've won six straight and seven of the last eight that they've played without Wade. But more important than that, uh, when Dwayne does play, he's effective. He's shooting the best field goal percentage of his career over the last 12 games. He's averaging 22 points per game. And just what you wish for with Dwayne seems to be happening, that he's going into the getting ready to go into the postseason, you know, at his strongest and best of the season. I think the same for Greg Oden. I mean, he didn't play the first 40 games or so, and, and now slowly but surely he's, he's getting enough minutes, more and more rust is chipping off of him, and I think he is, you know, already helping Miami, and, and I hope that these last 15 or 16 games, you know, are good to Greg Oden, and, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a great story. Uh, you know, after almost four years of being out of the league, it's, it's, it's a small miracle that he's back and playing and, and being productive and uh, we're all happy for him and uh, also proud of him. Eric, uh, another thing I find interesting is the Beasley aspect, and that's in the Indiana series because Beasley can be a matchup nightmare, especially against the statue that is David West sometimes. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is in the playoffs and particularly against Indiana, what will Beasley's role be considering that he does create uh, mismatches on offense? Tonight's Mike Miller come home night. What time should he fans be there? For the for the, for the, for the he's, he's gonna get his ring. Uh, he was not in the starting lineup for 
much of the postseason. He started games four, five, six, and seven against the Spurs last year. And, of course, his signature moment, you know, probably in his 14-year NBA career and certainly in his time with Miami, that 23-point game in, in the Game 5 cruncher against the Thunder in the 2012 Finals. But he made seven triples in, in eight tries, one of the great, you know, finals performances and certainly in heat history and a signature moment for, for not only the franchise but but for mike he's beloved by his teammates um by the organization and uh, you know there's some guys in life that, that you're just glad they walk through your locker room or cross your path and, and mike miller is certainly one of those people hey um i wanted to bring up bosch because i feel like he never gets enough love and i see a completely different bosch this year a much more aggressive bosch uh, do you see that, and and why do you think uh, the change this year? Well, I don't think there's been a I, well. The one the one change in Chris is you know, and, and Eric Spolster has talked about it a lot. How he continues to sort of reinvent and expand his game, and, and I think if you look at you know, if you take any great player in NBA history, one of the common things that all of them would have is that they continue to get better and improve both grow their game, change their game, adapt their game, you know, uh, with, you know, with experience and with age and with the know-how of, you know, what it takes to play the game at a high level and most importantly, what it takes to help your team win. And Chris is a, is a consummate team player. Um, listen, Chris, Dwayne, and LeBron could never have come together in the first place, let alone make it work the way it has, unless they were all able to subjugate their egos and put team first. But what Chris has done, listen, he's one of the game's gifted uh, perimeter shooters uh, of guys with size. He's so valued and underrated as a, as a defender. But what, what everybody's noticed is the kibosh craze that has taken over South Florida this year. <laughs> you know, Chris, Chris uh, you know, he, last year he had a career-high 21 threes. This season, he's already got 60. Um, yet, you know what I've noticed? If he relies on it too much, uh, that's a problem. He's four for 19 from downtown in the last four games. But the fact that you got to go out and guard him out there, and, and he draws opposing bigs all the way out there with him, he's mixed up his game well where he, he uses his drive a little bit too. I love it when Chris is aggressive offensively. Uh, I think in the playoffs, even more will be asked of him because not only do, do the Heat need Chris to score, but they need him to rebound. And, and if there was any one thing, he really struggled. Dwayne and Chris struggled offensively in Boston on Wednesday night. Uh, without LeBron, those guys, you know, have, have an obvious burden, and uh, they really struggled. Uh, you know, Wade and Bosch in that game combined for 23 points. I mean, they needed to each score 23 probably in that game to win, but, but Chris did have 11 rebounds, and, and I think that's important for, for him and for the team, especially in the playoffs, but I think he's had a very good year. He is a super valuable player, a great guy, a great family man, and uh, you know he's very fortunate to have Chris Bosh. Eric, last thing before you leave, the pressing question South Florida's always wanted to know: How did your catchphrase "kaboom" come to be? Was that something that was premeditated? Did that happen in the moment? Could, could you tell us? Sporting event, and 
you know, sort of like tippy toe three uh, about Antoine Walker. The first time I ever said it was was absolutely the first time I ever thought it. Um, with with Kaboom, you know, Kabash came to me spontaneously. Kaboom, it's actually a funny story that I've told often. Uh, I was in a in a cab with Dr. Jack Ramsey, who was my broadcast partner for six seasons with the Miami Heat. This was in the mid nineties, maybe ninety four, ninety five, and Jack and I are in a cab on our way to the United Center in Chicago for a Heat Bulls game. And Dr. Jack got our cab driver in a conversation and and. I jumped into it when, when Jack asked him, you know, are you a big sports fan? And the cab driver said, yeah, I love the Chicago Bulls. You ever get to a game? No, but I, you know, he's a cab driver. He says he loves listening to the games on the radio. And when he said that, my interest peaked. And I, I, I interjected, I said, what do you love about listening on the radio so much? Because I'm a radio, I started in this business as a radio play-by-play guy. And I really believe that's the true art of play-by-play uh, when you're describing it on radio. But, you know, his response to me was, I love the radio announcer for the Bulls because he says kaboom. And I, I chuckled at that. I said, well, when does he say kaboom? Well, on big shots, on threes. And I looked at Jack and, and I said to him, I go, isn't this something, Coach? You know, all the information, all the knowledge you try to sort of disseminate during a broadcast. And what, what the average fan really remembers, enjoys, appreciates are the spontaneous moments and, and maybe a, you know, a cliche or two thrown in and a signature call here and there. So that very night when the Heat played the Bulls, uh, probably back in 1994-95, I sprinkled in my first kaboom. We've been kabooming ever since. <laughs> I have confessed my sin of, of uh, cliche theft from Neil Funk, and uh, I thank him for it because it's a call that, that seems to have endeared itself to, to the basketball community in South Florida, and the kaboom has, has moved to the kibosh when Chris hits it, and uh, I hope it's fun for the fans. I enjoy it as well. Hey, Eric, uh, Alex here, and uh, I just wanted to let you know that going into this interview here, we all agreed that if we could get you to at least say kibosh once, it would be a more than successful interview. You said it four times without us <laughs> even attempting to get you to say it, so, and we just want to let you know that we definitely all enjoy you, especially watching you and Tony every night, and uh, it's been a pleasure for the past 15 seasons as, as Heat fans to just watch you and Tony do what you guys do best. Well, you know, Tony and I, thank you very much, first of all. Tony and I are, are so humbled and proud that, you know, we're the only two broadcasters in the league uh, where both of us are original employees of the franchise. I, I believe there's only seven or eight of us left with the Miami Heat that started with the franchise in 1988 and are fortunate enough to still be there enjoying, you know, the, the basketball of our lifetime. Tony and I have been broadcasting together for a decade, and we've been friends for 26 years. Uh, I think what you see is what you get. It's real. We, we love the game. We respect the game. Uh, we love the heat. And we love being sort of, you know, unofficial historians and ambassadors for the franchise because we're out there. We're, we work for the heat. We also work for all the fans, you know, not only in South Florida, but around the world that are enjoying Miami Heat basketball right now. And, yeah, I, I think we feel that obligation and responsibility that, you know, once you're a Heat player, you're going to be a Heat player for life and part of that Heat family for life. And uh, because we have seen every game in Heat history and, and we've known every player that's come through here and every coach, um, you know, it's sort of our, 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 our bond and responsibility to keep those people sort of in the, in the fans' mindset. We're going to always make either a former Heat player or any young guy that, that's come through South Florida and is in the NBA, we're going to celebrate your success. We're going to remember your Heat past, and uh, we're going to even enjoy the experience of seeing you, you know, off the air and, 
it's a great position that Tony and I are in. We treasure it. We enjoy it. We value it. And we're really enjoying every moment of, of this current run of heat basketball. Eric, we love you. South Florida loves you. FIU loves you. And thank you very much for making time for us. Uh, we hope to have you again sometime. My pleasure, guys. You guys are knowledgeable fans. I can uh, you know, hear it from your questions. Um, continue to enjoy your careers at FIU. College go by, goes by so quickly. Um, they're great years, so I hope you enjoy it to the max. And, and we'll speak to you again, hopefully, during the playoffs.